Welcome back to Energy Explained, the family YouTube channel and podcast. I'm lucky enough to be joined by Father Vikram Rao today from just outside of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He comes with us from the Stanford Engineering Department as a PhD in engineering from Stanford and was the former chief technology officer of Halliburton, so speaks with authority on all things energy. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting one, which is a really amalgamation of a few topics we've discussed on the show, and that is what will it take really practically to get to 100% renewables? This is a question that governments all over the world are grappling with. And recently, the European Union came out with a directive that declared nuclear and natural gas would be considered sustainable transitional fuels for the 100% renewable goal. And this stirred up a lot of controversy, as you might expect. So we're going to jump into this one. So just right off the bat, um, what was your reaction to this uh, announcement around, uh, especially the, I think, both pieces, the nuclear piece, some people object to that piece, uh, other people object to the natural gas piece. What was your initial reaction when you read this story in the New York Times? Well, I can tell you, I was quite taken aback that it's such a bold decision. I happen to agree with it, and we can get into why I agree with it, but it was a very bold thing to do for two reasons, especially the natural gas one, uh, which is the one that's taking the most heat. The nuclear one will take heat in Germany and Switzerland, uh, but and not in Sweden and France, but, uh, but that would be expected. Uh, uh, it's the natural gas one mm -hmm. that surprised me with its boldness, and the reason is twofold. One is the usual one, which is it's a fossil fuel, and uh, what do you mean it's a sustainable investment type of thing? The other is the timing. Uh, right now, natural gas is through the roof in uh, Europe, uh, and it's a heck of a time to say that that's the thing to use because it would be uh, very costly. But, but I think what I concluded was they were not talking about today. They were talking about from here onward mm -hmm. and saying philosophically uh, it was the right thing to do. Okay, so let's talk about, let's maybe work backwards from 2050. It's a, it's a number that's been thrown around a lot as a goal. Now we work, we're 28 years away, which isn't a huge amount of time to reconfigure our entire energy supply chain. Can you right now, if an economy was, let's say, situating themselves at the forefront of renewables today with with current technology, maybe you could pick the economy you think represents that. Um, how much of their power could they reasonably expect to get from renewables, bearing in mind the issues you've previously discussed on the channel, which is solar and wind follow a pattern of uh, a, a, a volatile pattern of production. So what, what would be right now your sort of best case scenario with the current technology to draw energy from renewables without extensive batteries or something that really no one has right now. So what's the sort of peak best student in the class right now? So uh, let's back up a little bit and put uh, some understanding for the listening public. Uh, uh, most folks think uh, of uh, electricity generation in, in megawatts. Okay. The problem is that that's what we call nameplate capacity. So if something has 10 megawatts capacity, uh, that if you run it all the time, then it's 10 megawatts for every, every moment you run. 
in the end what matters is the megawatt hours you call them mm-hmm. okay that the amount of energy that you so your in your home you pay something called a unit okay which is kilowatt hours right uh, it doesn't matter what the capacity is because the, the question is how much you get right. all right so your pricing is on kilowatt hours known as a unit all right so here's the fundamental problem with solar and wind the, the fundamental problem is that the rated capacity can really not be achieved. Right. Okay. The nameplate capacity, as we call it, can really not be achieved simply because of sun doesn't shine and rainy days. Okay. So the the maximum possible uh, uh, capacity factor, we call it, we call it uh, utilization uh, uh, for solar is about 25%. You know, I might be off by one or 2%, mm-hmm. depending on where you are, but, and it does depend on where you are. Sure. Uh, but the maximum possible is in that number, in, in that range, okay? Uh, and the maximum possible wind is around 45, okay, which is decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, those are also unusual. A uh, lot of wind uh, on land uh, is closer to the solar number, but, but higher, probably mm-hmm. 27, 28%. Yeah. So the point is that an input capacity just cannot be delivered by those guys uh, and simply because nature does not allow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it needs to be augmented. So that is so any 100% renewable future simply has recognized that nature doesn't allow it. Mm-hmm. So you need to augment with something, then the question becomes what? Right. So let's say we're, we're in an augmenting scenario. If you could construct the ideal with the existing technology, the ideal um, mix of energy sources. So you just explained to us that you would, of course, have to over-provision solar and wind relative to its stated capacity. But you could do this, and countries do this. So let's say I've now substantially over-provisioned wind and solar such that if the sun is very much shining, if the wind is very much blowing, I'm I'm exporting or or storing the energy. Um, What do you think is a realistic number to get to if we were just using the existing technology, but really, let's say, to the fullest extent that we are absorbing a lot of costs to do this, but is economically tolerable? So the number could be, you could say 60%, you could say 70%, but you've just explained to us the number is not 100% because at certain points in time, the sun will simply not be shining, the wind will simply not be blowing, and so therefore it simply could not be 100%. So do you have like a, you know, throw out a number, if best student in class right now could get, let's say 55%, so that means we have to close 45% in the next 28 years from our best case scenario today. Like what's the sort of gap we need to close? Yeah, so first of all, when you said you could uh, over capacity, yes and no. Uh, you could build much more capacity of solar and wind. But the problem is, in the days that they are not producing by nature, uh, you need the storage. So you, storage right. will become a key, okay? Right. And storage is where the problem is. Right. Uh, batteries cost a lot to store, okay? So innovative storage may help solve the problem. And there are some interesting things going on. Uh, in storage, and we won't go in deeply into it. But uh, uh, so Europe stores right now, in, in, in some measure, the extra from wind in Denmark goes up to Norway, and we call it pumped hydro storage. Okay, you pump water up, yep. and, and then bring it back down, and at that point, release the electricity, so to speak. So to speak. Okay, but th- that is limited. The storage in general will have to pick up, yep. and. I am for a hundred percent renewable. That's such a lot of solar and wind to be backed up. Right. That the story is not going to get us there. Okay. So what will? Okay. Uh, 
from my from my thinking, uh, you need something that's what's called load following. Okay, so in other words, uh, it, it pretty much acts when you uh, need it. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, now, by the way, load following uh, is a cool thing, but the times when you're not following the load, uh, then your capital is being disused. So there's an issue to worry about. We'll come back to that. Sure. But but the, just the sheer ability to complement solar and wind can be done with what are called load following guys. The three principal load following uh, methods that I am uh, uh, advocating uh, well, first of all, the one we use today is natural gas, yeah. which is one of the reasons Europeans said what they did. Right. Okay, uh, about ninety-five percent of all the uh, the rainy days, if you will, is being done by natural gas. Right, not storage, the, not something else. Natural gas. Yeah. So four, the four to six hours is being done by storage. Right. Okay. The four to six hours meaning it turns out that one of the biggest uh, usage of the loads are in about the four to six evening hours, we'll call them, when the sun is on its way down or down. Uh, and that is done with storage, pretty okay. much with batteries. Okay. Uh, and so the 46 hours are batteries and will remain batteries, in my opinion. Right. Okay. Uh, but, but we can't save it up for two weeks of, of no wind, right? So we can... You can, we can but it's still costly. Right. I mean, we yeah. can't exactly. But right now, that's not being done. So when you have these sustained periods of unfavorable electricity production conditions, it's natural gas because our storage we, is just a intraday type type situation right now. Yep. Okay. Folks pretty much use 10 hours as a cutoff number, okay. roughly. Okay. Clear. Uh, so for 10 hours plus storage, what do you do? Okay, right now, it's primarily natural gas. So this is one of the reasons that the Europeans came out and said it, and said that the final solutions, uh, that the most effective solutions, the most uh, uh, sustainable solutions are a ways away, and we need something as a bridge, and they said, let's use nuclear and uh, natural gas. Okay, okay now, clear. I'll speak to both of them, and I'll speak to the third one. Okay, okay so, we, so, we, so we have, what's number one? is nuclear right now number one is right now right now no one, one is natural gas but it's not renewable natural gas okay yes. uh, and then we need a nuclear that load following okay which is not conventional nuclear okay okay uh uh conventional nuclear is pretty much run as a base load yeah all right uh conventional nuclear meaning uh, where nuclear is done today yeah big massive uh, power plants on the Simpsons, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah yeah one to two uh gigawatts yeah okay uh, of nameplate capacity. Now that my public will recognize the difference between nameplate capacity and delivered, okay? But uh, nameplate capacity is in megawatts, delivered is in megawatt hours. Right. But anyway, uh, so uh, the three are those. We have discussed before all of these, yeah. okay? Uh, uh, so the one is geothermal, yeah. which they didn't speak to, uh, which can be load following. The new type of geothermal can be load following. Yeah. Uh, and will deliver in that range, okay? Will deliver uh, in the range of uh, uh, 60 to 85 dollars, US dollars per megawatt hour, okay. uh, which is about six to seven and a half cents per kilowatt hour, which is your unit that yep. you pay for. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, that number is what, so solar comes in, depending on where you are, uh, between two and a half and five cents a kilowatt hour. 
Okay. Yeah. Wind comes in depending on where you are between two and four cents per kilowatt hour. Okay. Okay. A little bit lower in the right place. Yeah. All right. So you, in, in the knee-jerk reaction might be, uh, oh, but what you're talking about is uh, six to eight and a half, eight cents or whatever, which is much more. Okay. Uh, double. All right. Uh, so what gives? Okay. Well, what gives is that it's a lot cheaper than batteries. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, so if you don't want to do uh, natural gas, then you're left with batteries. And batteries, this is a study by the Rocky Mountain Institute recently that I read, said that if you use batteries for the last 50% or so, uh, then the cost would be uh, over $150 a megawatt hour, which is over 15 cents a kilowatt hour, okay? Which is now a multiple of what solar and wind are, okay? Uh, but that's what it's going to take. So the key takeaway from all of this is that the that the augmentation devices approaches need not match solar and wind in price. They just need to beat batteries in price. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and and so the three in my view are geothermal, as I said. Yeah. Uh, the second is small modular reactors. We have yep. the nuclear, same as the European saying, but I'm spelling it out as to which ones. Yep. Small modular reactors should deliver in that same range as geothermal, yep. in those, those kind of numbers. Uh, and uh, and then natural gas itself. Yep. And then we get to the why the Europeans said what they did. That's the question. Yeah. So I hear all this, you know, and I think to myself, okay, I'm following. I've looked at the studies you share with me. They seem to indicate that right now in, for instance, where I'm sitting in the Netherlands, you could get to 55 or 60 percent of your power averaged over the year from green sources. And the remaining 40 to 45 would have to come from somewhere else averaged over the year. Some days it might be 80 percent. Some days it might be zero percent. Um, you've explained to us that over the course of a day, small deviations, this is really not the issue. It's sustained de deviations. So then you say, OK, you have small modular reactors, you have geothermal and you have uh, and you have natural gas. Storage itself could be a fourth, right? So I would, would you add battery battery advancement as a fourth? You're saying you're starting from such a high price, maybe you don't find it promising. It also has maybe more complex um, environmental impacts. But would you include would you would you say storage is also a fourth maybe option? Oh, absolutely. Storage is definitely an option. Uh, and and as I said, uh, there's stuff going on in other than battery storage. There's stuff going on something for compressed air. Uh, which is uh, uh, difficult to do, but there's innovation going. So there will be innovation right. in what I would call the storage space. Uh, and some of it may even apply to the longer term over 10 hours uh, term. Okay. okay. But, but in the interim, uh, yes, absolutely I include batteries. Uh, uh, certainly for the diurnality, for within the 24 hours, okay. uh, uh, batteries will be to go. And there's some really cool work going on in batteries as well, uh, uh, which is that going away from lithium-ion, which prices have come down dramatically due to electric vehicles uh, need. Uh, but there's, but you don't need lithium-ion for this purpose because these are what's called stationary cells. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to move around. They don't have to be light. Mm -hmm. The wonderful thing with lithium was it was not heavy. Mm -hmm. But you could have heavy batteries uh, and defined for this application. So, no, there's, there's a lot that is going on that should go on in the electrochemical space, okay, which is the battery storage. Uh, 
It is just that for the longer duration, yep. uh, it's probably these three. Okay, so then let's stick with those three. And then the, I think the for me, the nuclear one's not particularly controversial because we've talked about it. We've talked about the safety. Uh, we've, we've, we've been through it, and I think we both agree that that's one where ultimately we know global climate change is an existential threat to humanity, um, to, to at least livability in many parts of the globe. Um, I don't want to overstate it. Humanity is probably not going to go extinct from it, but it's certainly like a billion people type problem. And the, the incidences around nuclear storage and so forth have been more of like a hundred people type problem. So I, I'll, I'll move aside from nuclear. Natural gas, the articles I read, the controversy is really around natural gas, as you mentioned right now with the political crisis in the Ukraine um, and the heightened natural gas prices. It was an odd timing, but let's think a little bigger picture. You've just mentioned four potential uh, solution avenues. And of course, there may be more. Now, reflecting on this, you know, how do you feel about isolating and, and elevating natural gas as part of the solution? Is it because you're less optimistic um, around these other technologies in the near term? So, you know, if we're talking 2035, 2040, is natural gas part of the picture for you, but it has to be in 2025? Let me into your thought process on the, on the timing here, because you said you're, you're a supporter of this decision, but it doesn't sound like you're, do you think, it's your supporter for 2050 of that decision. So talk to me about the timing you think is realistic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I expect Geothermal to have the first one done in anger, as the British call it, uh, by about 2024. Or okay. Okay. Uh, uh, and then it could multiply. But, you know, it's got to multiply quite a bit to get to where to scale, where you stop doing other things. Okay. Uh uh, small modular reactors, the, the one that is being commissioned uh, that we expect to come on screen is going to be... Uh, everything takes longer with nuclear because the permits and everything right. don't right. ask. But, right. uh, uh, it'll probably be 28 or 20, 20 28 or 29 uh, and uh, that before it comes on screen for the first one. Okay. 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 Now, mind you, there is one in Russia, offshore Siberia, uh, that's doing some things and so forth. But I'm talking... Uh, uh, you know, ones that would be available to everybody. Uh, and so scale-wise, I would expect small model reactors to hit their stride only earliest, mid-2030. Okay. And geothermal? Uh, same about, but little earlier. Okay. Okay. Uh, so these are 2030s should start really helping and scaling, but for the 2020s, not a realistic part of the solution for the present. Okay, so now right. we're now we're left with batteries and natural gas, and now you're going to explain right. this. Exactly. Oh, well, the batteries are what they are. They are for the short, for the dire analogy. Yeah. But for the longer one, you're left with natural gas. Uh, and and when I said they'll start scaling, then that means natural gas doesn't go away uh, because it tapers down. Yeah. Okay. And this is what the Europeans are saying. It says the interim solution will taper it down. Okay. Uh, and so the government should, you know, figure out the taper. All right. Now, there's a part that didn't enter the argument, uh, and I'm not certain why. Probably because there was lack of knowledge on the space. And that part is, uh, what can you make natural gas clean? Okay. See, natural gas in of itself as about less than half the CO2 emissions of a coal plant. So it's already pretty good type of thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and it does not have... Uh, the particulate emissions that coal plants do and so forth. So on on the whole, it's a much better. Now it doesn't have the uh, uh, the mercury and so forth. So mm -hmm. it's better. Okay. 
surprisingly, the discourse didn't go to, can you make the natural gas uh, carbon-free, all right? Okay. And the answer is yes, actually. Uh, and that is what we should be, uh, that the next discussion should be, okay, allow natural gas to keep going, start tapering down whenever sensible and go be country by country. But in the meantime, get on with the program of taking the CO2 out, okay? And I can tell you that within the next, uh, oh, I don't know, three years, it's already happening, but we're talking reasonable scale. Uh, uh, you should be able to take this. See, taking the CO2 to natural gas is a little more difficult than taking it out of a coal plant uh, or from uh, a cement plant uh, and so forth because its concentration is low, which is a good thing. Right, okay. burns cleaner. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the CO2 concentration of natural gas uh, emission is 3 to 5% CO2. Okay. And from a coal plant, it will be 12 to 15 okay. From a cement plant, cement kiln, it would be 22 to 28%, something like that. Okay. Okay, roughly. Okay. So, in, in all of uh, in, in thermodynamics tells you it's easier to take out something when you got more of it. Okay, uh, uh, it's not exactly thermodynamics; at least economics tells you that. Okay, so what it is is uh, what, what it is is I was going to thermodynamics because of direct air capture from the air, and thermodynamically it's very tricky. But we won't go there. Okay, okay. Well, um, we'll take your word uh, for it. <laughs> yes, yes, we, we, we won't go there. But but here's the uh, uh, here's the point on natural gas uh, CO2 capture. Uh, it's very doable. Uh, in three to three years or so, I would say certainly five, uh, it could be on scale. Uh, and uh, for what? Okay. For, I would say, you could capture it for at least 40 US dollars per metric ton. Okay. Uh, and I would say in that time frame, it will probably drop to 30. Okay. Uh, okay. And... And to give you a picture, in in Europe, the price of ga- uh, of CO two is about I don't know forty five euros or something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, and expected to go up. Yeah. All right. So if the penalty for CO two production uh, is uh, uh, is forty five euros, and you can make it for twenty five euros, okay, uh, make it meaning yeah. you could uh, capture it for twenty five euros. What would you do? Okay. So, so that that's the point, and 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 while natural gas is a little harder to capture, the numbers I gave might be five dollars per ton higher mm-hmm. for natural gas mm-hmm. than it is for coal. It's somewhere in the neighborhood. The point is that is the direction we should be taking. What we should be taking is allow natural gas uh, for those longer periods of augmentation, uh, but uh, pretty much demand CO uh, two capture. Now, the final question I have there is. Um, of that, uh, it, it, let's take uh, theoretically, if, if a ga- natural gas power plant is releasing 100 units of CO2 and you apply the technology you applied, is it 20 remaining, 10 remaining? What what type of capture rates are we talking? Yeah, so the capture rates are 90% plus. So, yes, there's, uh, and it depends on which method. So, there's use. some residual, but it's, let's yeah. say, 90%. So, what you're saying you remember is. Remember, it was small to start with. Okay. Right, right. It, well, small at the at the unit level, but large if you're producing a ton of electricity with it, right? right? And that, that's right. the issue. Right. Okay, so the story you're saying is that the load-following renewables we have today, potentially, 
geothermal small modular react nuclear reactors not going to be part of the scalable solution until the 2030s okay we accept this batteries right now cost five six x the base price of uh solar or wind and easily double the price of natural gas right now whereas natural gas carbon capture does not double the price and in fact given as you said the market rates of co2 and so forth um if you're producing is not uh, it, 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 well, quite frankly, it might not cost you near that much because you're able to, um, uh, you're able to earn the wedge of what you're doing it for versus the market price and earn that wedge as a profit, so to speak. So that, that, that makes absolute sense. So you support the European Union's decision based on the reality at play. And so what I'm taking away is when you look at all the numbers and you're taking a realistic lens to human behavior, we're not going to consume radically less electricity when the sun is not shining for a few weeks and so forth. You come to the conclusion that this is the practical path forward and there almost is no other option unless there is some type of breakthrough that we right now do not could not predict and so it's the best of the solutions and that's why you support it even if you understand people have a distaste for endorsing uh, a fuel source that isn't part of the long-term solution in your mind is that roughly right, summarize your position absolutely the only thing i would add to that is i would ask the european union to add a strong uh, incentive for carbon capture on the natural gas and, I, and you know what? If they had included that in the messaging, I think it would have gone over better. And so I, and I think that's that's absolutely right. I think it, it, if it's the message we support clean natural gas or so on and so forth, it's a different message. And, you know, marketing and branding is part of it and part of adoption. So I think that's absolutely fair. Well, I know we're at time here today. Uh, thank you for insights and expertise. Uh, absolutely fun discussion. If you're watching us on YouTube, um, the comment section is where we have the discussion for Energy Explained. So please do engage and we will engage back. If you're listening to a podcast, again, going to our YouTube page is where the, where the discussion is occurring. And we remind you, if you're on YouTube or a podcasting platform, please hit like or subscribe so that you can stay up to date with all our family-based podcasting adventures here. With that, we will sign off and see you next month.